It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Marcy Borders, also known as the Dust Lady, became an enduring symbol of resilience when photographed during the September 11, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center. Covered in dust as she fled the collapsing tower, her image captures the chaos and suffering of that day. While she survived the immediate horrors of 9-11, Marcy Borders battled post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD, and substance abuse in the years that followed. Sadly, she passed away in 2015 at the age of 42 from stomach cancer. Today, we're honored to be joined by her daughter, who will share her mother's story, offering insight into Marcy Borders' enduring strength. So to my guests, thank you so much for being a part of the show. How you feeling? How you doing? I'm excited, and thank you so much for being interested in my family story. I'm here. Yes, I was telling my guests earlier that I was trying to, um, I wanted to showcase another story from 9-11 because this year marks the 22nd anniversary, and I was like, I wanted to do it from a different angle, and then I discovered your mom's story, 
And I was just so taken back. And I'm just like, wow, because you don't really hear too many um, people of color, especially women of color, sharing a story when it comes to such traumatic events. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your mom, Miss Marcy Borders, also known as the Dust Lady. Dust Lady. Yeah. So could you tell us more about your mother and her personality? Because I feel like she was that mom, aunt, big sister that we all either have or know. Yes, my mom is the, she was the mom that you wanted at the cookout. Like, right. she she was the party. She had a big personality. I was more so, like, super shy. I was like, all right, come on, you're doing too much. But she was just loud. Like, uh, for instance, I'll give you an example. My prom dress, she took the extra fabric from my prom dress and made a shirt out of it. Oh. And came to my red carpet with me with, like, a corsage. Everything. She was so extra. I'm like, girl, stop. She was like. No, girl, I didn't get to go to prom because I was having you. So this is my prom, too. I was like, oh, my God. It was so embarrassing. But, like, that was her. Now, your mom worked as a legal assistant at Bank of America, located on the 81st floor of the North Tower in the World Trade Center. You were only eight years old at that time. So could you share any memories of what you remember from that day? I honestly remember my mom just being excited. I remember getting up that morning Cause she would drop me off at my grandma's house. Mm-hmm. So my grandma, so my aunt would be able to bring me to school and my mom would just head on to work. Um, I do remember that morning. She was just like, you know, excited. That was her first payday actually. Oh, that day. Wow. Yeah. So she was excited. It was her big job in the city. And then I went to school. And then after that, it was just, I remember being in the schoolyard and they rushed us inside of the building. We were playing at recess at some point, like, or gym, because mm-hmm. it was early in the morning. And I remember them saying, like, oh, a plane hit the Twin Towers. But I remember all my teachers were whispering. Mm. And at the time, I didn't connect Twin Towers, my mom's job. I was so young. Right. But then I, but then I noticed that, like, so many kids' parents started to come in and get their kids. And I'm like, what? Where's my? mother because you know she would have been the first person here to right. come and get me and I was literally the last kid and in, left inside the classroom Wow! and when my aunt came and got me I remember her pulling my third grade teacher Miss Halecki I could never forget her name into the hallway and my teacher came back inside the classroom and she was bawling crying oh after my, my aunt must have told her and then when I got home I remember like my aunt and my dad and they they were all like acting weird around me. I was just like, what's going on? Like nobody right. was saying nothing to me. They wouldn't turn on the TV once I got home. And then my grandmother, my mom's mom called the phone and I picked it up mm-hmm. and she was just like, is your mom okay? Did you speak to your mom? Like going crazy. And then I just dropped the phone and started crying. Oh my God. Cause I thought something happened to my mom. Yeah. Right. But you're not even realizing that she was inside of the building when everything took place. Yep. I had no idea. Hmm. So when did y'all find out she was okay? So basically, I found out my mom was okay. It's very weird. Um, My mom picked up and called me from a phone booth. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at this point, my dad had filled me in on what was going on. And I was able to watch TV. And for some reason, I felt like I saw my mom on the phone at the phone booth because she was talking to me. And then all of a sudden, the phone booth, I heard like the phone drop and she just... And I thought I saw her on TV just running, like drop the phone because that was it. Right. And then after that, she was transferred from New York to the hospital in Bayonne. She didn't get home till like 11 o'clock at night 
that night. Mm-hmm. So I actually didn't see her until the next morning because I had went to bed. And was she hurt or anything? She wasn't hurt. Um, she was just completely covered in dust. I actually still have the outfit. It oh, was never wow. washed. I have the boots. I have everything at my stepdad's house. We just keep it like the same way she left it. It still has all the debris. What do you plan on doing? It like, would you put it in a museum or something? Or, um, I would definitely be open to putting it in a museum, but they gotta pay me the coins. Right, like, come on, <laughs> I need to get the coins. Like my right. mom always said, whatever is whatever she left here was for my brother and I. So they have to like offer us something that you know I can put away for my brother. He's only fourteen, mm. and for myself, like, have anybody got to pay me? Have anybody made any offers? No, I haven't. That's interesting. Because the last 9-11 um, Survivor I interviewed, she still has all of her stuff, too. And I'm like, why don't I put this in the museum or put it inside of the um, memorial? So I went to the museum for the first time uh, maybe about two years ago. And I just noticed that they had my mom's photo in there. But I, then I also was reading articles that they was actually closing it. So I wasn't sure if they still had it open or was it being closed because they said there wasn't getting a lot of visitors as they were in previous years. So I'm not oh, too sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's fucked up. Right. Exactly. All this shit that done took place. Right. And then y'all want to set shit down. And so many right. people lost their lives. Like, let's keep let's keep the museum open so we can honor them still. Right. Exactly. So when she got home, do you remember what happened that day? Or, like, did she say anything? She was a... My mom was a nervous wreck, literally. Like, I can imagine. She went from being the loud outgoing person always wanting to be on the scene um always around to being inside of the house literally we stayed inside the house like she did not go nowhere she did not do big crowds I can remember being a kid for the first time I don't even remember what holiday was but my town was having a parade right and I begged her like please let's go to the parade we always did parades I'm a kid Mm -hmm. I want to go to the parade at the parade you know how when planes fly low and you can hear that noise like the noise that a my mom grabbed my hand, started going crazy, started running through the crowd. Like, we literally looked fucking crazy. <laughs> Yo, she hauled at my ass. Town. Right. Yes, at my town freaking parade. And everybody in Bayonne knows my mom. My mom is, like, the mayor of Bayonne. So, like, us Yo, I'm just... I'm not going to lie. I saw pictures of her funeral. And I'm like, yo, this low-key like a celebrity passed away. Like, Yes, it really... It was very weird. Like, when my mom passed away, it was, like... People would be calling my phone, like, hello, you're on DC's radio. We're just calling to see the dust confirmed that the dust lady passed. I'm like... This is very weird. Yeah. Like, it, was, it was a lot. It was That's very how I intense. know she was lit. Because it was... Yeah, because I was, was crazy. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, she's showing out a little bit. Um, <laughs> let's calm it down. Because this spotlight is too much for me. Right. So, when did she realize that she was just being triggered at the parade? I guess because... Um, just the no- It would be the noise. It would be the loud crowds. It would just be people cheering. It would just be people huddled in a group period anything no, but, like that no but when did she realize that it was n- nothing was going on like she was just triggered like when did she come out oh of it? she by the time we was at our front on our stairs oh wow yeah she didn't stop we didn't stop until we got home and how old were and you then, oh, i was like i had to be about still about nine eight nine at the time still oh wow Damn, that is so sad. Yeah, and it took my family to be like, girl, it was just a plane flying low, but it still wasn't like, she still was like in protective mode. Like, I got to get to safety. I got to get home. I got to get behind closed doors. I got to lock the door. I got to be safe. Like, that was her mindset. And she had you with her, so she was trying to make sure you were safe as well. 
Yes, because she was pulling me along. Like, come on now. But back then, I was a little chubby, girl. Come on. You better bring your little ass on. Yes, running and sweating, sweating and running, okay? Right, right. Do you think your family understood what was going on with her at that time? Because I also feel like back then, like, mental health wasn't as trendy or as popular or attractive as it is now compared to back then. So do you think they was like, you think they was thinking she was a little bugged out or like, they understood what I was definitely do think some people thought she was a little bugged out, but then I also feel like many people knew that she went through this traumatic experience, so they didn't have the understanding, like, okay, maybe something's going on, but they knew something was wrong. Right. And also, when my mom actually took the job, um, she never knew that the World Trade Center was attacked before in 1991, I believe. Yeah, and yeah. She, and she was like, shit, had I known that, I would have never... <laughs> taking right. this job because she was very scary like she was like me like even though she was outgoing stuff like that she didn't play with like right. she even said she left her check in her pocketbook her first big pay like she was like i'm out of here wow so how did she cope with the sudden fame that came from being known as the dust lady because i feel like she became like the face of 9-11 yes that actually really scared her um when she woke up the next morning and her face was all over the newspapers she thought that she was America's next target. Oh, my God. Because she thought that they knew her face. She thought that they were going to be after her. She thought that, like, oh, my God, my my face is out in the world. That made her stay inside longer. Honestly, it wasn't until um, my mom went away to rehab and, like, just was doing her things to get herself to where she needed to be. And while she was there, Osadam bin Laden was killed. Yeah. And that's what gave her the great awakening. Like, I'm safe now. It's done. It's over. Yeah, I saw that you mentioned that in one of your interviews, and I was just like, wow, like that is very heartbreaking to think that yeah. you are the face of a possible attack. Like, and she was mm-hmm. everywhere. Yes, and she was going crazy. Like, who gave them permission to take my photo? Like, she was really upset. It took a while for her to like actually cope with being the dust lady. It was even to the point where on our door, because we lived in an apartment building, um, it was like Halloween, you know, like that fog like the halloween stuff my uncle was playing around with her and like took his finger and wrote the dust lady on her door now he need his ass whoop (laughs) yes and he's and he literally she started to go crazy like that was like a trigger for her did she get any money for this photograph i don't think i'm not too sure honestly i can say i don't think so but i definitely know she was paid when she was doing those interviews yeah (laughs) wow So when you saw the images of your mother covered in dust, how did that make you feel? I was embarrassed. Really? Yes, because I was a kid. All the yeah. kids were bringing the magazine to school. Like, look at your mom. And the newspaper teachers wanted to know. And I was always, like, very shy. And my mom always had to break me out of my shell. And I kind of was embarrassed. Cause I'm like, everybody show me your picture. You're everywhere. So, like, honestly, I just wanted it to go away, to be honest. Wow. So how do you feel about the picture now? Now I honestly feel like I got to sit into like a few interviews with my mom as like a teen and a young adult. And I just got her to see like, I am the dust lady, but at the end of the day, she was always going to be my mom and just hearing her story and how proud she was of her story and everything that she went through being right. the dust lady and being a part of the nine eleven, It just makes me proud to like continue one continuing to want to like share her story, make sure it lives on. Like now I'm like, okay, my mom, is a dust lady, but she's my mom and she's my hero. So I just flip it that way for me. Right. 
Do, did y'all like the name, the Dust Lady? Because when I was like, why are they calling her the Dust Lady? And then when I saw the picture, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> um, no, but I guess it kind of went with the picture because he right. was completely covered in the dust. Um, but no, but I guess now it's like the trademark, like the nine eleven. You just nine eleven. You connect with a Dust Lady, right? Right. Now, the media attention and the iconic Dust Lady photograph made your mother a symbol of resilience. But how did this affect her mental health? So basically for my mom, it was like, it triggered her. It sent her in a state of drinking alcohol more. Um, at a point, she started to use drugs at a point because like she was trying to cope with what was going on. But at the People always say, like, how didn't you know? Because to me, yeah. no matter when I came around or whatever I was doing with my mom, I'd never seen anything. Like, she was always a mom in front of me. I could never see, like, oh, something's going on or, oh, she's doing something that she's not supposed to be. Like, when I tell you my mom wore that mother cape very well because mm. when she came to me and my brother, I would have never knew unless I didn't hear the things people were saying around me. Right. And honestly, I still couldn't even believe it because I didn't see it myself. What were they saying? They were just saying, like, you know, the town whispers, like, oh, she's drinking, or she's doing this, or she's getting high, or she's doing... People would say little things like that, but I could never, like, honestly witness it myself. Have she ever had an issue with drugs before, or, or did she start doing this after the 9-11? I would say after the 9-11. Wow. Um, and honestly, my mom has said, like, many of interviews, like, it was a point where she was, like, when my mess started to spill into my children, that's when she was just like, no, I can't. Right. Wow. And that's when she went to rehab and just got herself together and became what she needed to become for us and continue living until, unfortunately, the cancer right. took place. And then she also developed PTSD. Yes, she definitely did. It was... That was a while, but I think that her going away to rehab, it helped her deal with all of those questions, all of those feelings she had. Right. And then I can honestly say, like, I remember the day that Osama bin Laden was captured and America killed him. It was just like a new awakening for her. It was just like, I can live my life again. I can live my life again. I can live my life again. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. But We Loved is a new podcast about queer history coming May 15th. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught. A history of courage and perseverance. 
I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm not the target. He's gone. Like, she was just so excited. Right. 
Do you think because of all the things that she was going through with her mental health was one of the reasons why she lost custody of your brother? Um, yes, I can say so. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that played a part in it because everything was going on. And I guess people were making phone calls and, you know, doing certain things, being sneaky, which in a That's way, it was a blessing, a blessing and a curse. Because like my right. mom said, like you guys tried to do take things away from me but at the same time you allow my mess to become mess for my kids and it caused me to clean myself up so right it definitely washed each other's like washed the other hand right now how did you and your family support your mother's mental health and well-being during her journey of healing I guess we was just there we were supportive um I never not ever looked at my mom as anything other than being my hero mm-hmm. um we we did visits out there with her for like family day. Um, How long was she gone spoke- for? Ugh, I honestly can't even remember exactly. Mm. I don't think it was like super long. Um, maybe about two to three months. Not too sure. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we definitely saw her, spoke to her. She even wrote letters. So it was just like I knew my mom was going away to make herself better. And I was actually at that time entering my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. When that was taking place. So when did she first learn about her stomach cancer diagnosis? Um, August of 2014. So it was just like a year because she passed August 2015. Mm-hmm. And actually when she was going through the process, she kept going to the doctors to get checked. She went to plenty of doctors and they were like, oh, it's just gastritis. She was told that until she actually found a specialist who saw that it was stomach cancer. And was she experienced like a lot of pain? Her stomach was hurting her. That's why she kept going to the hospital. She was thinking like, oh, maybe it is true. I have gastritis. She was trying to eat different things until one doctor actually looked into it and was like, no, you have stage four stomach cancer. Wow. Yeah. And how old were you when she started to, um, when she shared the diagnosis with you? Um, I was 21. Mm. 21. Did you, I like, just turned 21. Did you know how severe it was or did she keep that from you? So... Cancer has, like, um, I have been previewed to cancer. My dad's father had a cancer. Um, so I kind of was like, my grandfather, they call him a walking miracle. So I was like, okay, well, she never shared what state she was at. So I always knew my mom had cancer. I was there along the way. Right. She would never tell me, like, basically there was nothing that they could do left because she knew, like, I just couldn't handle that as her kid. Right. Well, I was reading something else, and... um. I guess what kind of got me sad, because I think this was the last Mother's Day that y'all spent together. Yes, it was. I can never forget that Mother's Day. It was so, because I just kept asking her, like, why is she being so sad? Yeah. I didn't understand, because at this point, she still wasn't, like, saying anything. Um, she did, I remember her going on hospice. Now, at 21, like, I'm like, girl, I'm about to be at the bar. I'm partying. <laughs> right, I'm, about to be I'm outside. in college. <laughs> I want to live my life. My mom wanted me to live my life. Um, okay, my mom called me. I'm going to go be with my mom. But I'm also, I'm young. So my mom's like, okay, yeah, go ahead. Go live your life. Like, she always put that mom cape on when it came to me. So I can never forget. She's like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm The hospice nurse is going to come. And then I remember I was there that day when the hospice nurse first came. I was just telling her what she was going to be doing. And I'm thinking, like, mom, the nurse. And she's like, yeah, the nurse is here to get me better. But all along, hospitals was basically like, this is the end. There's nothing left yeah. that can be done. And Did I remember she look my mom. Sick? 
at the end, she started to look sick. Yes. Mm. But then I was just thinking it's cancer. It's chemo. Like right. chemo does that to you. It makes your skin darker. It makes you lose weight. Like I was already privy to, okay, she's going to be losing her hair. Cause I was doing my little research too. But at that point I still didn't know it was stage four. Um, I remember her talking to the hospice nurse and she started crying while she was talking. As soon as she started crying, she already knew it was a triangle effect. Like I was boohoo crying. Like, cause I automatically took on her feeling. I didn't know exactly what she was feeling. But seeing your mom cry made right. me cry too. So my mom was like, see, this is why I don't cry or this is why I don't do certain things because she's going to remember everything. As to my brother who was seven at the time, only just remembers like, oh, mommy being sick, but he doesn't remember everything that she has dealt with. And she always said that like, I, she always felt bad that I re- I'm going to be the one that remembered everything that she went through. Mm-hmm. And he was just, you know, so young, just still right. playing around, like living his life. So she tried to like kind of shelter me still in a way, but like sometimes she just had to let it out. Right. And then like the last Mother's Day, I was like, why is she in a room? Why is she sad? Like, why is she laying down? Like, I came, I'm here. Like, she always thought I was rich for some reason. And I had a work study job only making like $200 every two right. weeks, probably. Asking for Michael Kors bags and matching slides. Like, she wanted to be me. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. But I'm going to go to Baker's. Remember Baker's? Oh, I'm I used to you- love Baker's. Yes, I'm going to get you a cute bag and matching sandals. I used to so actually like, work I- at Baker's in downtown Brooklyn. Yeah, I used to love Baker's. Yes. Okay. Baker's was the spot. So I it was, was like, okay. Spot. I could never forget, I got her like this burnt orange bag. It was very cute. And I got her matching sandals. And like she was happy about it, but then she just came so somber and was like so sad. And then like went in the room. Like, and she never even said like this was our last Mother's Day because still to me, it's like, okay, my mom's still fighting cancer. Like, right. I don't know what stage it was at. Mm. Do you and your brother have conversations about your mom? Because I feel like since you did experience a lot of things with her and like he was so young, like, do you have to like? But my rem- brother, it's no. He definitely does remember her. Um, he doesn't have as many memories as I do, but it's a very sensitive topic for him. Yeah. Um, only because I feel like he was so young and like to process everything that she went through and how she passed. I think it was like it's too much for him to still talk about at fourteen. So right. you know, we'll go visit her grave. We have he has went once with me and his dad. Um. I don't think it's something like he likes to do because it brings back like this emotion right. for him. So I kind of not bring it up to him unless he asks me about it. Right. Right. And he's still yeah. young. So it's probably like you said, it's really hard yeah. for him to probably process what exactly what right. he's feeling. So when did when did you and your family discover that your mother cancer was linked to the debris she inhaled during the events of 9-11? Um, my mom always kind of said it because she was like in many interviews like, my mom was completely healthy before anything, like all doctor records, nothing was wrong with her. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until the 9-11 incident took place to where she started to see and see how so many others were diagnosed with cancers. And then they saw that hers was actually related to it. Mm-hmm. Her attorneys. According to reports, nearly 25,000 people were diagnosed with cancer over the past two decades. Do you think, families affected by these diagnoses should receive compensation? I definitely do. Um, Just because our parents didn't um, pass in the buildings, I feel like we should be compensated for like 
longer than what they just give us something from the victim compensation fund. This is a lifelong thing that we're living with every day at 30 years old, every day from 21 on, I woke up without my mom. And at no, no matter what age, we never stopped needing our moms. I find myself at a point where it's just like, okay, now I have to be a mom to my son without having my own mom. So that was kind of hard for me too, as well, becoming a mom without my mom. And I also had like, you know, amazing woman figures in my life, but I just feel like had that situation not took place, my mom would have still been here. Mm-hmm. Do you ever go back and look at any of her old interviews or her stories? I do sometimes yeah. when I get to like missing her voice and then like sometimes it becomes too much. Like there was an interview that she did for the German television show and I literally never seen this interview before, but they have footage of me and my mom playing slide. I did mm. never remember that. And me seeing that flash on the screen and me being so young, I just started bawling crying because it was just like, it was a trigger for me. Like, yeah, I don't know. My mom was just like a sensitive spot for me. So it was just like a lot of things, like even going on Google sometimes, they have pictures that I've never seen of me and my mom when I was young. I was just like, oh, wow, this is like crazy. It's a lot. It becomes like too much for me. Right. Now, how does it make you feel knowing that her image inspires others now? It makes me feel good. It makes me feel amazing because, like, this is the person that my mom was. Like, no matter what she was going through, her house was the house to go to. Her house was the house that you went to when you were hungry. Her house was the house that you went to when you didn't have nowhere to stay and you got kicked out. Her house was the house where it was, like, you saw grandma's house back in the day where 14 kids on the floor piled up. That was us there. Like, she let us throw parties. She let us be whatever we wanted to be. She even gave me freedom of speech where I had like 15 minutes to get every curse I wanted to say out. Oh, wow. Yes. So like, I feel like my mom always wanted to inspire others. She always wanted to be there for others so that now that her story is able to, you know, help people get through their struggles. um, I think that that's just like everything to me. Right. You know, I have a question because when I was speaking to the other 9-11 victims, she did tell me that she got compensated. But when families are affected by something as traumatic as this, is the compensation only one time or is it like a real time? So how is it supposed to last? <laughs> exactly. How is it supposed to compensate? Right. What is it compensating? What is it compensating? Like, right. It was a thank you. You lost your mom. Here you go. Figure it out. Wow. Now that's yeah. messed up. Right. I swear families who've lost parents within the buildings get, I think, I believe they get compensated for a while. I'm not sure how long I didn't research it, but I feel like they do. Is it hard for you to go to New York? Um, no. Um, I went to the 9-11 memorial when I did an interview and, um, like they were asking me how I was feeling. I felt sad because of all the lives that were lost that day there, Yeah, but I really couldn't make a connection there with my mom because she didn't lose her life there. Right. Um, she lost her life battling cancer due to the 9-11 attack. So it was just like, it's like a really uh, eerie feeling. Like I remember, and as a kid, I would do um, talent shows, no, fashion shows in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And you know, the potholes, they had smoke coming out. And this was my mom's like first time going into the city. Cause I'm like, she always was my cheerleader. I'm like, mom, you gotta go. I want to see you. And she put on that brave face for me. And um, my dad was actually driving through the tunnel. He was like, oh, we're by the 9-11. And she saw the smoke come out of the pothole. And she tried to jump out of the car. And this is when I'm like 10, 11. 
Wow. And my grandmother went, this is my dad's mom. My grandmother went off, like called my dad every MF he could ever think of. Like, why would you do why that? Why would you do that? Right, right. Right. Yeah. And I also saw an interview, um, I saw like partial of it because it was only available in a certain amount of time, where you were trying to connect with her through a medium. Yes. So I always wanted to go on or speak to a medium, right? So. Right. It was very weird because I'm like, is it going to be real? Is it not going to be real? Because as a kid, my, me and my mom will watch Sylvia Brown. I don't know if you remember her. Mm-hmm. She used to come I on know my show. Right. So my mom would be like, all right, like, she would say the craziest shit. Like, if something ever happened to one of us, we'll go to the medium. Like, she would say <laughs> stuff like that. And I'm sitting there like at eight, seven, like, girl, what? what? are you talking about? Right. <laughs> and um, so I got the opportunity and honestly, a lot of the footage that they showed, it was just based around like 9-11. But like a lot of the things that were being said to me was only things that my mom would fucking know. It was like kind of mind-blowing and scary at the right. same time. What was she saying, so, if you don't mind sharing? So like there were things like, um, I felt like my mom and my grandmother came through my dad's mom because we had just lost her to COVID. So it was just mm. like, wow, at this point, I was able to connect with both of them. But my grandmother, I put my um lullaby that she used to sing to me in my back pocket and she um Teresa had was like you're sending out a casket and the lullaby was playing at her funeral it was um see the pyramids that mm-hmm. song I forgot the group that sing it but she was like you're sending out the pyramid you have the song in your back pocket I pulled it out as for my mom she was like going crazy like oh my god my daughter's getting married because I was like planning my wedding at that time and my husband was actually her best friend's nephew. But I was like, Mom, he's a bad boy. I don't like him. Like, I'm not into that. And she would always try to get us together. Like, call me on the phone. Like, he's on the phone. I'm like, girl, I have a boyfriend. Like, stop. <laughs> right, right, right. Brought that up. And I was like, wow, only my mom would know that. Because she was like, girl, I knew him before you knew him. Wow. I was just like, wow. It was very crazy. Like, some of the things that she said. And also, like, my stepmom's dad came through for her because I brought her with me. And... He said that she wasn't there at the time of his passing. She actually wasn't because she was trying to rush back home from Atlantic City to get there. And I was like, wow, okay. She's saying some real shit that only they this would know legit, that. Legit, right. Yeah. So it was like really crazy. It was spooky. But I was just really sad that the TV viewers couldn't see that part. Right. Um, and they only focused on like the obvious, the picture, right. the dog. I wish they would have showed the behind so they could see like, okay, maybe this is legit. And then in the 9-11 stuff. And I believe that's the reason why the lady, Teresa, she received yeah. a lot of flack, but I'm like, they didn't even show the full thing. They didn't show the full interview, nope. Right. Well, if you want to, um, if you ever need a psychic or a medium, my lady is fire. And she's the yeah. only person, oh my God, only person I go to. And she said things to me that only my grandma or I would know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm a little scary too, you know, because I don't play that. Like, don't um come visit me in my sleep. You know, your parents always say you don't go with the dead when they come to visit you. Like, I'm right, the type right. of person, like, I don't need the signs, you know? Like, I love you. You love me. We can make as much love as we want. It's infinite. I love to be loved outside of this world. Right, and love right. But don't be doing no weird shit now. Don't be doing no weird shit now. But We Loved is a new podcast about queer history coming May 15th. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. 
Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So 
Listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I don't want the lights flickering. I don't, I don't do all of that. I'm scared. Right, right. Now, what lessons can we learn from your mother's experience about the long-term mental health challenges that survivors of major traumatic events may face? Um, I would definitely say you know yourself when something is wrong. Um, you have to be yourself's biggest advocate because nobody's going to know what you're going through. Right. And only you know the type of help that you need. And if you have children, don't let it spill into them. And I would just say, like, do what you need to do to make sure that you're the you're your best self for you. Because if you don't love you, you're not able to love nobody else. Right. Now, losing a loved one in such a public and tra- tragic way can add unique challenges to the grieving process. So how have you been able to navigate the public's interest in your mother's story while also dealing with your personal grief? So I can honestly say still to this day, it's fake. I can never forget um, my cousin, Nika. She definitely would just look at me and I'd be like, girl, this is not real. Mm. Like it was fake to me. Um, I mean, I had all the emotion. I saw the casket, but it was fake. Like going to her grave now, it still doesn't set into me because I'm like, this is not real. I think in me, I really didn't grieve yet. And it's been eight years. Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, it's just not real. Like, I'm not making this up. Like, I'm not still living without my mom. Like, it's just fake. And when I say this, sometimes people be like, yo, you're crazy. But I mean, you I just think can't this believe is my it. way. Yeah, I think this is my way of grieving. Like, I can't believe she's not here. Like, she would have never missed nothing in my life and have to, like, live without her. I'm just like, this is unrealistic. This is, I'm like, this shit is fake. Like, can I say cut? Right. Like, <laughs> It's over, but no, it's my reality. And every day I have to like wake up and be like, maybe it is real. Like maybe it really is. Like I know it's real for my brother because he's like dealing with it. Like growing up without a mom, just him and his dad and like me trying to be the active sister to him. And it's hard because I can never fill the shoes of my mom and I can never be my mom to myself. I can never be my mom to him. Shit, at this age, I still need my mom. There's sometimes I find myself like something's crazy happened. I'm like, shit, I'm going to call my mom. Like, wow. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't know. I feel like I am still grieving. Grieving has no time, no period when it has to stop. I'm just continuing. Yeah. Because I lost my grandmother like seven years ago and she was like a mom to me. And Mm -hmm. till this day, like it still hurts. 
Yeah, so I just feel like I'm just going with the emotions. One minute I'm crying, next minute I'm not. My mom loved the movie Rent. Five thousand twenty five hundred. <laughs> so when I hear that song, that's <laughs> yes, that's a that's a trigger for me. And I'll just text mm. it to my cousin Nika and be like, "Girl, the song." And then she'll send me back the other part of the lyrics. Like, "Girl, this is crazy." Like that's just like our thing. Sometimes, is it hard for you to have these conversations about your mom? Because I know you want to obviously upkeep the legacy, but like, it got to be hard to keep like talking about certain things and then the memories come into play. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, I could say it was because at first I'm like, how can I do this? Like she would always say where the dust lady starts, her daughter takes over. How can I live up to this? How can mm. I keep her alive? What can I do? I could be doing more. Um, but now I feel good. Like I feel like seeing how much of a huge fan base she has overseas, yeah. seeing how so many people reach out to me. And sometimes it can be super weird on like facebook and instagram like just saying the craziest thing what they be saying like people just be like oh you're like scary people like dads and uncles and like hi i'm from switzerland like you're just so beautiful i wish i can touch your cheek or like like yeah so i'm just like but other than that seeing the outreach of love and support and how people just want to continue to pour into her and just using her story um, it makes me feel good when I talk about her. You know what? You make a, a really good, interesting point. So I was speaking to the daughter of Florence Griffin Joyner. A lot of people, mm-hmm. you know what it is? No, but you can fill me in. Who is okay, it? Okay. So she was Flojo. She is known as the fastest uh, woman in the world when it comes to training. Okay. But I think I read my kids a book about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So me and her daughter are really cool. And I was speaking to her about um, like the difficulty or the challenges when it comes to maintaining someone else's legacy so do you Mm -hmm. have that problem as well i think so because it's just like the pressure is on like am i saying the right thing am i looking the right way am i doing what she wanted me to do um is this what they want to hear are they just picking me just because i'm her daughter like do they actually want to hear her stories like it's so many things that go through my head right right so what would you like others to understand about the ongoing emotional impact that the events of 9-11 can have on individuals and families even years later? I would just say traumatic experiences are real. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no, some people have, I saw like stories where like, oh, it's faking it. Like people are just putting on the show. Like, yeah, like this affects families. Like it causes people to go to dark places where they not normally are. Mm -hmm. Um, And not only is the person hurting, but also the family too as well, because we're doing all that we can to support this person. And honestly, we don't know what they're really battling, what they saw. I remember my mom telling me her story of being in the building that day. She literally was like, she. I remember her saying when a plane hit, it shook. And she was like, wait, what's going on to her boss? Like going crazy. She was nervous. And he was just like, oh, a plane just nipped the antenna. Like it must have happened before. But this is her first time. She never got like a, nipped the antenna. a drill. Yeah, like, so she never got, like, a drill before, like, you know, a fire drill, safety drill, none of that, because this is, like, her first few months, first month there, basically. And um, she says she, at that moment, she knew something was wrong. She just started running down the stairs. She left everything. And she said the craziest thing about it is, had she been there long enough to go through those drills, she probably would have locked herself where everybody else went for safety and died and passed away. But because she panicked, her mind told her to, like, leave. Like, she wanted to get back home to me at that time. So she just started running down the stairs. And she was like, 
she went from seeing like paper and desks flying out the window to people. So I could only imagine like what was going on and how badly that affected her. You know, it's so crazy. When I was reading her story, I was thinking like, when did she leave? Because for her to be on the 81st floor and she survived, yeah. I know she was not playing no games. She left at the very beginning. Like soon as the antenna hit the, and she felt this shake that first time, she was like, no, this is right. not. Right. <laughs> I'm about to this be is out. not right. right. I'm out of here. Y'all can sit around here. And he, her boss actually told her that she was making everybody scared and that she needs to relax and calm down. And at that point, she was like, nah, Fred, you can keep this. <laughs> right. I'm going. Like, I'm out. Wow. And that's another good point because they need to update the procedures and protocols when it comes to right. fire drills because you're telling people to go in this room and be safe and ain't no telling right. what can happen. That's the same thing I feel like being a teacher and doing a lockdown drill. Yeah, yeah. We're sitting, we're just in a classroom. We're locked in a classroom. Yeah. Anybody that's been through drills before knows that, okay, we get away from the windows, we do this. But I feel like the drills should change every year because... Every year is something new. <laughs> yeah, every year is something new. I was telling my um, cousin about that with my niece. I'm like, you need to teach her how to survive. And he was like, but you putting yeah. fear in her? And I said, yeah, but this is the real world. I'm like, every, every year... Yeah, yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a massive shooting. I'm like, I mean, granted, she's only six years old. I said, but she's still smart. I'm like, God forbid, I want her to be able to, like, play dead or, like... Right, like the little girl in Texas who took it and put it on the blood on her and just laid there like she was dead. I thought yeah. that was, like, wow, that was, okay, I'm survival mode. Like, yeah, who would have thought of that? Yeah, it's really I'm sad. Really sad. So how do you envision the legacy of your mother evolving in the context of how the world remembers... Her and the events of 9-11. Because I do think that she should have her own statue or something in 9-11 uh, Memorial. A statue would be nice, but I'm definitely... My mom has journals. She always mm -hmm. wanted to write her book. Um, and I actually want to finish that process for her. She has an amazing um, name for her book. Mm -hmm. I can never forget it. I think that's amazing. That is. You know uh, what? I might take that out because I don't want nobody to take it from you. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Yes. take that out. <laughs> okay. Okay. So... She definitely wants a book. She, I think she definitely needs a book. Um, I'm all for a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, Oprah Winfrey, Tyler Perry, what's up? I'm here. Yeah. Like, I feel like her story needs to be told. So and I definitely am looking into like publishing and publishers to help me get this book created. And what was her journals about? Like, Was it everything, just her entire this, life? Her, her entire life, up until 9-11 and after. Mm. What's one thing you would like people to know about your mother that no one knows besides her family? Um, I don't know. I feel like everybody knew everything. She was crazy. <laughs> Although she was crazy, she was outgoing. She was loud. My mom was scary. Mm. Very scary. The little one, she was like, mm-mm. Like, Jersey City. Are you familiar with that area? Like, Jersey yeah. City? Yeah. I never really went to Jersey City. So, they would always be like, don't go on the hill. Right. So I thought it was actually like a hill, but it's not. It was just like Martin Luther King, whatever. My mom was like, don't go by that hill. Right. Don't go on it. Or she would put me in the car and be like, I'm going to lock the windows in the door. You don't talk to nobody. Like, she was very scary. Like, she did not play at all. Like, anything that had to do with, like, safety, she was like, that person, like, girl, I'm going to get the cops for you because right. we ain't even do all of this. Yeah, that was her. Before 9-11, have she ever been through something before or? No. She's just this a scary like person. Yes, scary person. I'm the scary person. Like, I might act like, okay. Mm -mm. <laughs> but deep down inside. I'm Santana. I'm out. I'm out. Right. I'm Santana. I'm Yo, out. Yo, the way he ran, 
Yes, I'm out. I don't play with my name. I don't play with nothing about me. I'm out. I'm right. scared. Facts. Facts. Don't do nothing scary about me because, yup, they was there. It was 8 o'clock. They, they was eating chicken and the grease, the chicken crumbs is still on the floor. Like, I'm telling. I'm scared. My right. husband's like, oh, I could never commit a crime with you. You shouldn't want to because right. you are going to be like, mm-mm. I don't do that. I'm scary. Right, that was my mom. Same person. I am a whole civilian, okay? <laughs> yes. And I follow the law. <laughs> I don't go against the law. I follow the law. So right. Thinking of otherwise, leave me out of it expeditiously. Because right. I, I don't want to be one, a part of it. Because I'm a tail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not the one, two, three, or four. But yes, yep. That is Carl. He is over there. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know. And last but not least, what are some lessons or messages do you think your mom will want to share with others? I don't know. I would always say that even though that she went through her struggles, I would just say her biggest thing would be to live, live your life to the fullest. Yeah. Live your life to the fullest. Don't let nothing hold you back because even with her dealing with cancer, um, she still remains to being her true self. She was just like her happy go lucky self. Like mm -hmm. she just lived her life. Nothing stopped her. I could say my mom, even though she passed out 42, but baby girl, she lived, she had fun. Yeah. She got in trouble. She got out of trouble, mm -hmm. but she lived her life. And that's what kind of keeps me going. Like, although she's not here, I know she wants me to continue to live. Right. And 42 is so young. Yes. So Very young. young. When yeah. I think about it, I'm like, wow, 42 years old. I was only 22 at the time when my mom passed. I was just like, wow, she still had her whole life ahead of her. Like, Sis ain't even hit 50. How she had 50, yeah. girl. She would have had a bowl, okay? Yeah. Like, she would have had a big party. I mean, it's sad that her life was cut short, but she definitely lived. Yeah. And her birthday just passed, right? Yes, July 19th, the oh. big 50. Yes. She would oh, probably wow. Me. She would have turned 50 years old. Yep, this year. Wow. Did y'all do anything to celebrate? Um, I actually was on vacation. Um, mm -hmm. This birthday was kind of weird because I knew it would have been like a whole production had she been here. Oh, so I actually know, was away. A whole movie. <laughs> a movie. A shake. Bayonne would have shut down. She would have like, I'm so Bayonne. I'm still Bayonne. She used to always say that. But um, no, I actually was away and, um, you know, shouted her out as I normally do. Come okay. back home, visit her, give her flowers. But it was just kind of just bittersweet for me. That right. day. Any birthday, any anniversary of her not being here is just always just bittersweet. I never know how I'm going to feel, what I'm going to feel, yeah, what my mind is going to be thinking. It's just always just, it just happens when it comes. Right. Well, I appreciate you for coming on the show, y'all. I was really stalking her, y'all. Because <laughs> I can only imagine how many people reach out to you to share your family story. Yes, many. But I do, I definitely do feel... I felt safe, like, okay, you know, black girl power. I'm always, yes. you know, for us. Um, I'm very supportive of it. So I was just like, yes, I definitely want to do this interview. interview. I was actually very excited about it. I'm Yay. just like, told my friends, like, oh, I'm going to do it. My cousin Nico was like, girl, put me on it too. But I'm like, girl, it's a Zoom. We're going to be Zooming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then just seeing your mother in that picture and just, you know, just watching her story, like, just being a black woman, like, it definitely resonate with me because you could just see the emotions through right. her through her voice and her just the way she was expressing herself. So God bless you and your family, cause thank you. Yeah, what a what an amazing story. And unfortunately, it's, um, it, it's really messed up how she passed away at such a young age because of this event trigger. Because who right. knows if nine eleven would never happen, 
she might not have never got cancer. Right. Still here, shaking, moving, kicking it. What's up, sis? You're right. But, yeah. <laughs> but at least her legacy still lives on. So thank you so much. Thank to, you. Of course. And to the listeners, please make sure to follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Professional Homegirl. And if you want to kiki about this week's episode, please make sure to follow me on Instagram at The PHG Podcast. Also, don't forget to check out my love letters that I write every month titled They All The One at www.theyallthe1.com. The Professional Homegirl Podcast is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. And you can connect with me on social media at the PHG Podcast. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 